Beginning of Acts chapter, seven, or chapter 16 is where we're going to start off this morning. It, it's a series about the book of Philippians, but we have to start in Acts to get to Philippians. So I want to encourage you this week, read through Acts chapter 16. It'll really put some perspective on what's happening in Philippians and why uh, we're going to go through this the way we are. Now, I'm just going to share some highlights with you from Acts chapter 16. So don't turn there. Turn instead to Philippians chapter 1 and just kind of hold that, all right? I'll give you the highlights, but you need to go back and read it this week. Now, as you read Acts 16, here's what you're going to learn. You're going to learn about a woman named Lydia. She was a Gentile who believed in God, and she was the first person to accept Christ in Philippi. Now, this is a big deal. This is a time when Jews not only looked down on Gentiles for being unclean, but women were kind of regarded in this culture as just second-class citizens. So this is a big deal that here we have a woman who is the first person mentioned as a central member of the church at Philippi. Now, you're also going to see in Acts chapter 16 a story about a demon-possessed girl who followed Paul around testifying for him calling him out, saying that, that, that he is a prophet of God and those kinds of things. And, and so Paul finally, the, the Bible says he got tired of it, uh, which is, that's nice. See, parents, it's a biblical perspective to just get tired of it, okay? Paul got tired of it, and he, he cast the demon out of her, and coincidentally, he gets beaten and thrown in jail for that. You would think people would rejoice. The demon is gone, but no, people made money off of this girl. And so... The, they, they cast out the demon, he gets beaten and is arrested. But while in jail, he and Silas are praising God and praying. You know, Paul saw persecution as another way of sharing the gospel. And through this time of, of praying and praising God, the jailer and his whole house are baptized. Now, how amazing is that? At the end of the story, uh, in Acts chapter 16, we find where Paul actually stands up to the leaders of the city and they wanted to, to just quietly let him go, but he demanded that he be escorted publicly from the prison because he then revealed to them, I am a Roman citizen. You beat me and you jailed me unjustly. <gasps> Gasp. Those people who flogged him could have had the same thing done to them, or worse, they could have been beaten. I just, you know, it's amazing what could have happened, but just imagine the shock on their face when they learned the mistake that they made. Now, many of the people in Philippi were not real happy with Paul. They weren't real happy with the new Christians in Philippi. And in the book of Philippians, we find out that the church is dealing with a lot of persecution, even, even to the point of death. And so Acts chapter 16 is this amazing story of how the, first church, uh, excuse me, how the church first started in Philippi. And the neat thing about Acts chapter 16 is we see where God allowed the people of Philippi uh, to experience many miracles and as a witness to the fact that the gospel was authentic. And it also caused a lot of opposition to the gospel. But now that we know the story of how the gospel came to Philippi, we're going to look at chapter 1 in the book of Philippians. Will you pray with me? Father God, we, we come before you and we start this new series uh, on your word. It's called To Live, a, a central theme from the book of Philippians. And I pray that, that as, as we come through this, we don't just come up with a new catchphrase that, that's catchy, but we come out of this with a desire to do just that, to, to live for you. And as we talk about joy and pain and suffering today, I pray that we'll be able to relate. Everyone in this room deals with some sort of pain, some sort of, of suffering, and, I, and my prayer today is that through this 
study through chapter 1 of Philippians, we will see how we can also experience joy in times of pain and suffering because of you and because of your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As we launch into Philippians chapter 1, we're going to notice here that Paul focuses on four things throughout this chapter and, and kind of throughout the whole book. Uh, you're going to see a slight overlap in these, in these things, and I'm going to share them with you in just a second, but you'll, you'll see this overlap. And what he focuses on is, is partnership in the gospel. He focuses on, as you partner in the gospel, as he calls the church of Philippi to do this, that they will have a purpose. And their purpose is that they're going to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. In order to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, they really need to have a passion about that. A passion to live as Christ, if you will. And then finally, he has a prayer for Philippians, for the, for the church in Philippi. And I'm going to add on later in this message that prayer for us as well, and how it parallels in my opinion. Now the first 11 verses that we're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at them in the way that Paul felt for the people at the church in Philippi. Let me read to you this. Verse 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ, thanksgiving and prayer. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will, con- will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to, to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. I want to start off with our partnership in the gospel. As we look at Paul's desire for the church in Philippi, it's to be more than just fellow Christians. His desire was more than just to be a place where people gathered and, and, and hung out. He wanted them to have partnership in the gospel. Does this describe how you feel about the people in our church? Or if you're visiting and have a home church, the way you feel about the people in your church? How many names do you know? When, when you look around, do you know that much about the people in this room? Or the people around you. Do you know who they are? Do you know what they like? Do you know what, what they are like? Not just what they like, but what are they like? Do you know what their family is like? Do you know what's really going on in their lives? How often do you find yourself praying for them? For the people who are just sitting in this room? Oh, I don't, I don't know what to pray for them, you may think. I'm going to help you out. Start by praying the first 11 verses of Philippians for them. What would it take for you to pray more often for our church family? What, what would it take for you to pray for our church family and, and to grow to know them as brothers and sisters in Christ, as partners in faith? Not just to go, there. there's Joe, he goes to my church. Yeah, how is he? I don't know. <laughs> I see him, we don't really talk. But he goes to my church. 
What will it take for us to be partners in the faith? Paul's chains advance the gospel. I love this part. In verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He has been arrested, and he's saying it's, it's serving to advance the gospel. It's okay that I'm in jail. I'm going to advance the gospel. What? As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. I love verse 18, but, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that has happened to me, what has happened to me, will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now read this next verse with me. And Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He goes on, he says, If I'm, going, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. But Paul does know this. He knows that as long as he is alive, he will live with purpose. And the purpose that he's going to live with is advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, in my opinion, one of the best things about being a Christian is the promise of eternity in heaven. And as much as I look forward to that day, uh, until then, I don't want it to happen right now, until then, I will live like Paul with a purpose of advancing the gospel wherever I go. That should be one of our biggest daily goals. Now, I don't look forward to being imprisoned for preaching the gospel, but if that's what happens, I'm okay with that. Advancement of the gospel should be one of the things we pray about every day. Lord, give me opportunity to advance your gospel today. You know, when Paul is writing this letter, he's under house arrest. He, he can't leave. He is in jail. And you know what? He's not whining about this. He isn't, he isn't sad. He found joy in his suffering. Back in Acts chapter 16, after he is beaten and thrown into prison... He finds joy in suffering because he chooses to praise God and sing songs about him during this time. And this massive miracle happens. The jail shakes, the chains come off, the doors come open. The jailer's got his sword out. He's about to write his resignation letter. He's like, I'm done. Paul's like, no, no, stop. We're here. It's okay. We just wanted, God just wanted you to know he's real and he's here. And then Paul ministers to the guy that was probably part of the crew that beat him. And then he, he baptizes the whole family. Paul starts church in, starts a church in Philippi with a prison guard's family and the woman who founded Joanne's Fabrics. That, <laughs> not really, but you get it. So thank you. Thank you for laughing. Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth. And, you know, just throwing that in to see who's paying attention. What a bunch of misfits. 
This prison guard is Roman. He's, he's abused people. He's taken advantage of people. His, his family has lived on, on how he has taken advantage of other people because that's just kind of how it was for Roman prison guards. And they were not nice to people who were not from Rome. It was not pretty. And then you've got, you've got Lydia who is a woman, a Gentile woman. And that's, that's who Paul starts a church with. You know, would any of this happen if Paul just sat in prison with Silas cursing God and saying something like, I did what you wanted and, and all that happened was I got beaten and thrown into this stinky prison. They didn't even wash my wounds. Thanks for nothing, God. Don't look shocked. You know you've all prayed a scolding prayer to God sometime in your life. But not Paul. He said, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage. You get that? Not exponential courage, not more courage than I deserve. Sufficient courage. That's God giving you just enough courage to endure whatever it is that you're going through. See, a small temptation takes a little courage to move forward through. A large issue is going to take a lot more courage. But right here, Sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He didn't care either way. He was going to exalt Christ. And here's the thing I love about it. Our God is so creative that even in bad circumstances, when, when Satan may have thought he had the upper hand by imprisoning Paul, putting him on house arrest in this case here, and in, in, as he's writing this letter, it would seem that since Paul couldn't travel... He couldn't tell others about Christ. It wasn't like he could just fire up his blog and send it out or, you know, put things on Facebook. You had to travel to communicate back then. Paul's locked down in house arrest. And you know what Paul does? He takes this opportunity to reach the whole palace guard with the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. I would love to see that initial conversation. Paul, he's probably like, so... You're going to stand there all day and make sure I don't go anywhere, huh? Uh, yeah, that's my job. You don't leave the house. I stand here, I watch you. I make sure that none of your visitors try to help you sneak out. You don't leave. They bring you food. It's okay, but you're not going anywhere. I stand here all the time. How many of there are you? Oh, I represent the whole palace guard. We'll take turns watching over you. Well, since you can't go anywhere, let me tell you about my friend Jesus. <laughs> would love that. Paul, he shares the gospel with the whole palace guard. Now, now, I don't know if he did it individually or if he only got to talk to a few of them. I don't know how the, the shift change worked there. But he shares the gospel with the whole palace guard. That's impressive. That's, that's prison ministry. That's awesome. <laughs> Paul also makes mention that he says that some may preach out of false motives while others preach out of pure motives. He says the important thing is that Christ is preached. The important thing is Christ is preached. And I, I want to I sit on that for a minute because I want you to understand, as we go through life, you will see and hear a lot of people. There will be a lot of ministers who maybe touch your life. And I've had some people say, well, you know, I was baptized by so-and-so, but then he decided he wasn't a believer anymore. Well, it's okay. Your baptism is still good because it's based on you, not on him. And that's what Paul is saying here. People are going to let us down. They're, they're going to be... People who, who preach with false motives. But the important thing is that Christ is preached. 
He also said, I'm, I'm to go, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Now, he's still in jail, and he's not complaining. If I go on living, I'm just going to be bound up in this stupid house. I can't go anywhere. I can't do what God's called me to do. He doesn't say that. He says, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. You know what the Greek word for fruitful is? It's passion. I might have made that up. But I want you to think about it differently from now on. Your fruitful labor, what you should be passionate about as a Christian, is, is to proclaim the gospel. That's, that's what we should do. Paul said, as long as I live, I will find joy in suffering. It's okay. And look, when you read about Paul and his journeys, he suffered. If anybody can talk about joy and suffering, it's Paul. And what he says is, as long as I live, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Paul's passion, as we read just a few verses earlier, was to live as Christ. No matter what was going on around him, he chose to be a good reflection of Jesus Christ. You know, having passion, he said, to live as Christ. He also said, but to die as gain. And then in verse 23, he says, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. That continue with all of you means he's, he's praying with them. He's praying for them. Verse 26 says, So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Brothers and sisters, as we remain here on earth, we need to pray for each other like Paul prayed for the Philippian church. His prayer for the Philippians, and, and this is where I'm going to add in, uh, I'm going to say this could be a prayer for us. His prayer, if you narrow it down, is that they would lead a life worthy of the gospel. He, verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved and that by God. We had a lesson today in our Sunday school class about courage and about what our fears are. And here it is. We don't have to fear. Verse 29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Wait a minute, I like the first part. To believe in Him is good, but to suffer for Him, I don't know. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. HCC family, i got to tell you, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but to also suffer for Him. That's going to be different for all of us. We're not all going to suffer or struggle in the same way. But brothers and sisters, we will suffer for Christ. How we react to that suffering is up to us. Will we react like Paul? My prayer is that our reaction to suffering for Christ is that we will find a way to have joy in the suffering. I've asked Lillian Cook to come out and share with us about what that might look like. Miss Lillian, she got lost. <laughs> <laughs> 
in the back. <laughs> Maze back there. You just... One of the questions we're often asked is, why do bad things happen? Especially, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there is no one answer that will fit all. And to say the ultimate answer, so God can be glorified, just doesn't work when you're going through a crisis. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. But that is so hard to do. How do you explain considerate pure joy when a 13-year-old asks you, why did my mom get cancer? Or you try to console a family who had a family member killed in a tragic accident, and the person who caused the accident walked away unharmed. It's hard to consider it pure joy. But sometimes I think about King David and his laments in the 22nd Psalm. David was going through some pretty rough times because he said things like, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. I am a worm, not a man. I am despised by all. And then he keeps on. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. Like lions, they open their jaws against me. And David keeps going and going and going. But then he seems to stop and think, you know, I've been here before. And I remember I came through it. So right after the 22nd Psalms, he writes the 23rd Psalms where he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why do bad things happen? I don't know. No one does. But here is what I do know. Bad things are going to happen to good people. We as human are going to experience tragedies. And in that moment when we experience those tragedies, we have a choice. Are we going to allow our circumstances to dictate our belief in God? Or are we going to allow God to reign over our circumstances? I choose to allow God to reign over my circumstances. Thank you, Ms. Lillian. We live in a world of unknowns. Just like she said, are we going to allow our circumstances to dictate our belief and trust and faith in God? Or are we going to allow God to reign over our circumstances? At this time, I would like to point out to all of you, in our bulletin, there's a link. If you open up your bulletin, there's a, there's a web link. You've heard me say things as we've gone through the story and as I've preached through Hosea. You've heard me say things like, we should pray through God's Word, or we should pray over God's Word as we read it, or we should use God's Word to pray for others. And it was brought to my attention that I've suggested this many times, but I really haven't explained it, and that some people may not quite get how to do that. And so I wanted to share this with you, and I think it's, it's, it's a, it fits very well as we go through Philippians. <laughs> During the month of August, we're going to look at what it means to live. 
You will see in our announcements and in our bulletins a different web link each week. And these links are all about five minutes long, but they will walk us through praying through God's Word and, and show us how using God's Word, how we can use God's Word to pray for others, even if you don't really know them. The first one, it helps us to pray through uh, the 23rd Psalm. And, and I just want to encourage you, take the time and, and look this link up and, and use this tutorial to pray for the people around you. Use, as you start to read Scripture, it will help you to see it in a different light. Here's the thing. To live for Christ is hard. There's so much going on in our world. There's so much temptation. There's so much instant gratification that sometimes to live for Christ is hard. To find joy in suffering is not an easy thing. To resist Satan and, and temptations is difficult. But if we are a praying church, if we are praying through Scripture, if we are praying for one another, if we are praying like, like Paul did with Philippians, we can and we will have our partnership in the gospel. We will have a, a partnership in the gospel with the purpose of advancing that gospel. If we do this, we will develop a passion to live as Christ. And we will find joy in suffering. To live. That's, that's what that means, by the way. It's pronounced design. Those three Greek letters. Design. To live. It's the title of this series. But what do you think that really means? To live. We're, we're often asked... Are you willing to die for Christ? And I don't know about you, but my answer to that one is, is yes. I, in my opinion, I think to die for Christ is easy. It, it's not that hard. Think about it. We hear all these scenarios, these things that have happened in our world, and unfortunately that have happened in our country, uh, where people will say, denounce Christ and, and you will live. No way. I, I choose Christ. Because for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's okay. You can't hurt me. And once it happens, I won't know anyways. I'll be singing with the angels. That's a loose interpretation of what I think happens in, in heaven. It's, we're on it. It's okay. I've always said it's easy to die for Christ. The real question we need to ask ourselves is this. Can you live for him? Can you live for Him? I mean, really live for Him. We all go, oh yeah, I can live for Christ. But what are you living for right now? What were you doing yesterday? Where were you at? Who were you with? What were you watching? What were you saying? What were you listening to? Paul said, for him to live is Christ. Can you honestly say that about your own life? If you can't, what changes do you need to make in order to be able to say, I live as Christ? To live as Christ. It doesn't mean that you must live the Christian life alone. It doesn't mean you're alone. In fact, it means just the opposite. We try to live it alone. Satan wants us to live the Christian life alone. Because when we do that, we're, we're out on the fringe. And we're, we're secluded. And it's easy for him to distract us and trump us up. We stumble around sometimes and we think we're living as Christ, but we're not. But together, 
as a group, we can make it. We can accomplish so much more as a team than we can as an individual. Paul knew this. Church is a team sport. It, it takes all of us. And we need to encourage each other. We need to, to pray for each other. We need to be grateful for one another. You need to be glad that people care enough to ask you why you just did that stupid thing. That's joy and suffering. That we need to be grateful for that. Paul was constantly thanking God for the Philippians, for the church. He, he prayed with joy because of their partnership in the gospel. They were not a perfect church. There was a lot of stuff going on, but they had a partnership in the gospel, confident that God would complete his work in them. Paul prayed for growth for them, that love would abound them, that their knowledge and their depth and their insight and their discernment would grow, that they would be blameless. He prays that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. He doesn't ever pray that they'll no longer be persecuted. He doesn't pray that they'll no longer be tormented or tempted. He prays that they would be blameless. He prays that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. He prays all these things I just said, and, and that's what I pray for us at Huntsville Christian Church. Brothers and sisters, we must work together. We must contend as one, as Paul said. You need to understand that, that spreading the gospel is not just having a community event. It's not just doing a Bible study. It is literally leading people to salvation. That's spreading the gospel. Those, are, those things are good tools. Don't get me wrong. I love doing things for our community. Those are good tools to get people started. But it doesn't stop there. We get to work as a team to do the most important work that has ever been done. Leading people to salvation. What could be more rewarding? It's time for us to look past our personal sufferings. We, we all have them. It's time to look past those things our personal sufferings, our personal shortcomings. It's time for us to find joy in the fact that Christ died for all of us. And all we have to do is live for Him. What will it take for you to say, for me to live as Christ? If it's baptism, the baptistry is ready. If you'd like to know more about baptism, our elders, our staff, we would love to study with you about that decision in your life. It is the most important decision you will ever make. Speaking of which, last Sunday, if you turn to the back of the bulletin, you'll see the Did You Know? Emily Snell and her cousin Mallory Wright both were baptized last Sunday evening. And some of you are to blame for that. I want you to know, some of you who have, who have taught, those of you who have planted seeds in their lives as young ladies growing up in this church, that's what happens when you... Uh, raise a child in, in the ways of the Lord. And that's awesome. I'm excited about that. But if you want to know more about baptism, let us know. Um, if you need to repent, repent, if you just need to reconnect with Christ and begin some new accountabilities in life so that, so that you can live as Christ, the elders are here. They would love to pray with you about that. They would love to, to share with you how you can begin some accountabilities in your life. If you'd like to partner in the gospel with us here at Huntsville Christian Church, we'd love to have you. Whatever your response is to God's word today, will you stand and sing with us and respond accordingly? Before I move into the I'm glad you're here, but now it's time to go thing, I have to tell you,
This doesn't normally happen to me, um, but I didn't want to come to church today. I, um, I woke up. I was hurting. I'm, I'm having issues with my hip. It's going to be replaced soon, I hope. But I was really hurting. I, I had this sermon prepared. It wasn't that. I knew there was God's Word. But here's, here's why I want to tell you this. It's not that I don't want to do my job. I want to proclaim the gospel. I want to share the good news. But physically, I just didn't feel like it. Why that matters is because part of what I preached this morning was about praying for each other. And I'm in my office, and one of our high school uh, young ladies comes in, and she says, Hey, uh, I was challenged to pray for the people that have taught me, and um, I want to pray for you this morning. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) Yeah, I was supposed to be here this morning, and I'm glad I came. That young lady has no idea the impact that made on my whole demeanor and day for being here to do what God's called me to do. And it, it kind of even goes with this final thought. Back in March of 1994, there was a fifth grade class in Lake Elementary School in Oceanside, California. Mr. Alter is the teacher. And in his class, it included 14 boys who had no hair on their heads, bald as a cue ball, they would say. Only one of them, however, had no choice in the matter. His name was Ian O'Gorman. He was undergoing chemotherapy for lymphoma. As he faced the prospect of his hair falling out in clumps, he decided to just shave his head. But then 13 of his classmates shaved their heads too so that Ian wouldn't feel out of place. Ten-year-old Kyle Hanslick started it all. He, he talked to some of the other boys and their parents, and before long, they all trekked over to the barber shop in their community and got their heads shaved. And Kyle said, you know, the last thing we want is for someone to not fit in. We just want to make Ian feel better. Mr. Atler, the teacher, even shaved his head. Ian's father choked back tears as he talked about what those boys had done for his son. He simply said it's hard to put into words. You know, we we say all the time, I'll pray for you. But it's hard to put in words when somebody on their own, uninvited, barges into your office and says, I'm going to pray for you. It's awesome. These young people, they got it. This young lady that came into my office, she gets it. Partnership, unity, team, brotherhood, Sisterhood, family, we need each other. Mm -hmm. We truly need each other to have a place to belong as well as to accomplish the purpose that is set before us. That purpose is to live. To live as Christ. I say it every week. It's been great to worship with you all this morning, but it truly has. It's been great for me to worship with you all this morning, but now it's time to go. But this week, don't just go out those doors. Go out those doors and live for Christ. Will you sing this last song with us?